You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, my friends, that might feel like a a child's story, but actually it's a parable. It's a lesson for you and for me about what it means to be neighbors what it means to love those around us, especially those who are struggling, those who are hurting, uh, those who are going through hard and difficult times. In fact, the reason why the Good Samaritan or the good stranger in that story was good uh, is because he lived out the principles of Jesus. He lived out the teachings of Jesus. He lived out this simple rule. Some of you might have come to know it as the golden rule to treat others the way that you would want them to treat you. Now, every year, elementary schools and kids will often perform a short play called Character Matters, all right? Any of our elementary school kids done Character Matters? Maybe some of you. Uh, And maybe you've heard of it before, but this play humorously uses fairy tale characters to talk through different ways that character matters. For instance, the dwarves in Snow White, uh, they show gratitude because it's the proper attitude versus complaining. And Cinderella, to deal with her anger issues, she counts to 10, walks away, takes a breath, and you're okay. Goldilocks, uh, she, uh, she forgives the bears instead of wanting to get revenge. And it goes on and on and on. And the culmination of this play is a song called The Golden Rule. And they sing this song called The Golden Rule. It goes like this. The Golden Rule, the Golden Rule, oh, it's a very useful tool to figure out what you are to do. The Golden Rule, the Golden Rule. At work and play. At home and school, treat others. What is the golden rule? It is to treat others the way that you would want people to treat you. Now, who taught us the golden rule? Does anybody know? Jesus, right? Wow, you guys are so responsive. It's just it's wonderful being up here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, says this. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You see, this phrase right here is a summarizing thought. It's a concluding teaching of the entire Sermon of the Mount, according to Jesus, and also the law and prophets. So Jesus says this, in conclusion, if you were to boil down everything that I have been teaching you in the Sermon on the Mount into one sentence or one phrase of what it means to live out my teaching, it would be this, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. Now, no matter what you believe, regardless of your worldview, your philosophy, your religion, you probably agree with that principle in nature. In fact, if you were to Google the golden rule, uh, here's what you'd find is that almost every religion and worldview and philosophy has some variation or version of the golden rule. Uh, In fact, if you you were to look up, for instance, uh, Confucius, when when he was asked, is there one word which may serve as a rule of practice for my whole life? He replied, is not reciprocity such a word? What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Likewise, Socrates, great philosopher, says this, what stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. Buddha uh, said this, treat others in ways that you yourself uh, treat others in, in ways that you yourself would not find hurtful. Uh, 
Then uh, there was also two Jewish philosophers around the time of Jesus, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And uh, the story goes that a man goes to Shammai and says that he will convert to Judaism if Shammai can summarize the entire law while standing on one foot. And Shammai drives him away, and so he goes to Hillel. And Hillel answers him on one foot, and he says this, What is hateful to yourself, do not do to the other. The whole law and the rest of it is just commentary. Go and learn. And although it appears that Jesus is saying what these other great teachers have said in the past, is that the case? Yes and no. Let me restate them for you. Confucius, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Socrates, what stirs your anger when done to you by others, that do not do to others. Buddha, treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Halal, what is hateful to yourself, do not do to others. But Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. You'll notice that this is not the same thing. All the others are in the negative or passive tense. In other words, the other great thinkers exhort one to refrain from doing to others what you would not want them to do to you. Where on the other hand, Jesus' exhortation is positive and active. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This simple shift from negative to positive may seem insignificant, but I believe it's actually incredibly important difference. Jesus, unlike the other thinkers, is challenging his followers to action, to action, not inaction, to be a people who do good rather than just refrain from what is evil. Many people think when they think of Christian teachings or they think of uh, the Christian worldview, they think of do not do, do this, do not do that. But Jesus says the best summary of all of the law and the prophets and his teaching is this, love and kindness in action. This is different than what we might expect. I think for many of us, our idea of the scriptures, the law and the prophets, Genesis to Malachi, is a long list of do not do's, right? But Jesus says actually the summary of all of that law from the very beginning of the Old Testament scriptures to the end is actually about what it means to live out our faith, what it means to live faith in action, what it means to care for our neighbor. This is so, so different. This is why we are an active church involved in missions, both locally and globally. This is why we do things like Love My City Day. We don't just do it for the press or for the photos. We actually, we, we'd say, well, I, I would like people to love my city. And so I'm going to go and be a people who love my city. And we did that just a few weeks ago as we went to the park and we handed out water bottles. To, we had 300 water bottles handing out at the park and we had 300 flowers and we were giving them out to people in freezies. And, and uh, we also did a neighborhood cleanup where uh, we've adopted a number of streets just down on Murray, past Bruce Road. And, and a, a team of people went and cleaned up the streets there. Why do we do this? Because we want to live out Jesus' principle, not a passive or negative, oh, I won't do that which hurts others, but rather I would do what I would want others to do for me. I will care for my neighbor because I'd want my neighbor to care for me. This is the kind of church we are. This is why we have so many people serving on our serve team. You know, of all three campuses, we have the largest serve team, which is crazy because Mariner has like four times the amount of people, right? Uh, and, uh, and the reason why is because we are a community who says, well, I'd want people to serve me. 
So I'm going to go and serve others. And if you're not serving, I encourage you to do so, to join our team, to get connected, to be a part of what's happening here. Because this is the kind of church we are. We are a do unto others kind of church, not simply a do not do kind of church. Why is this? This is because of the teaching of Jesus. Jesus challenges us to consider how this plays out in every sphere of our lives, not just the obvious ones. For whatever reason, uh, in my translation, it uses this word, in whatever you do, do unto others what you'd want them to do to you. But if you look into the Greek or more literal translations like the NASB, you'll, say, you'll see these words, and, and this is the literal word, in everything, in everything, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. And so what Jesus is challenging us to do is not just in certain specific areas of our life to do unto others as we'd like them to do to us, but in everything, in every sphere, in every relationship, in every place that we find ourselves, that we would be a people who would do unto others as we would ho hope that they would do for us. And I find it interesting, the other, the other thing, if you look into the Greek, is it's not just asking us to do something, but actually if you look at the word, it is to offer one's very best. It's to offer one's very best. This is what Jesus is calling us to do in everything, to offer to everyone and anybody our very best, the very best of what we have, our very best of what we would desire or hope or dream for ourselves, that we would give to others. So although the golden rule does seem like Jesus is simply just reiterating what other thinkers had said before him, there's something in, like completely different. And it's the fact that he's actually asking us to be a church in action, in every sphere, to bring our very best to the people around us. Jesus is telling his followers there is no situation, there is no circumstance that you will find yourselves, that you are not to treat others with love, kindness, mercy, generosity, and grace. The golden rule or principle, although so simple that even every child in our presence can grasp it on a basic level, is a helpful filter for us to put on when we find ourselves in situations where we're not sure what to do or how to act. If we apply the, the golden rule to different, I treat my children, you can ask yourself, well, how would I want to be treated if I were them? Kids, if you're wondering, how should I treat my parents? You can ask yourself the question, well, how would I want to be treated if I was them? Or kids, with your friends, how should I treat my friends? Well, how would I want to be treated by my friends? Adults, how should I treat a colleague at work on Tuesday? Well, how would I want to be treated if I was them? Employers, how should I treat my employees? Well, how would you want to be treated if you were your employees? You're, you're getting the emphasis. How should I treat the barista at cafe? <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, or the, the waitress when I'm going to Brown's? How should I treat them? Well, how would I want to be treated if I were them? How should I treat people on the margins of society? Those who are marginalized and struggling. Well, if I was them, how would I want to be treated? How should I treat people of other worldviews, philosophies, and other political leanings? I think this is very important. How would I want to be treated if I was them? 
Would I want to call them names? Would I want to belittle them? Would I want to put them down? No, I wouldn't want those things done for me. And so I should treat them differently. You see, this principle is so simple. But man, is it challenging. How should I treat my enemies? We heard Jesus talking about enemies in the Sermon on the Mount. How would I want to be treated if I was them? This question is revealing. It reveals the ways in which we haven't been treating others in the way that I would like to be treating. It also reveals how God intends me to act in the world to those around me. And I want you for a moment to imagine if we all live this way, especially those of us who are Christ followers. This way of living could transform our personal relationships and the lives of those that we encounter around us on a regular basis. Think of the ripple effect of good that would take place in the world if we were just simply to live this way. Here's why I believe, genuinely, I believe this. Marriages would be restored. Some of you right now are in the midst of a maybe difficult season in your marriage. And I believe if you were to start to ask yourself this question, well, how would I want to be treated if I was them? I believe that it could be a step towards restoration. Some of you, you have broken friendships, but if you began to ask, how, how, how would I want to be treated if I was that friend? I believe it could begin to rekindle, rekindle some of these friendships. Workplaces that are negative places, places where you don't want to be. If we were just to treat others as we want to be treated, I believe that we could actually make a positive change. One person, one situation at a time. Kids, imagine how treating others, how you would want to be treated, could change your, your soccer team or, or your dance club or your classroom or your friend group. If we live this, think of how wonderful it would be to be amongst Jesus' followers. We'd be sought after as friends and neighbors. People would want to know us and live near us. We, our churches, they'd be full. If we, were the, if we truly lived this out, if we truly treated others in the way that we wanted to be treated, our community groups would be places where people show up for one another and love each other. Jesus is suggesting that if we are a people who care for our neighbor and treat them in this way, the kingdom of God will advance and earth will become a little bit more like heaven. Now, I want to level with you, okay? Inspirational cam trying to inspire us to live out the teachings of Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, is this is very challenging, isn't it? This is very challenging. Right now, your world and our society is training you to be self-centered and self-oriented. To be individualistic, to look out for number one. To care for yourself and your little clan and your little kingdom. But the teachings of Jesus is challenging us to live differently. And it will be inconvenient. It truly is hard to live selflessly. It will cost you something. It will require sacrifice. Yes. But this is the way of Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus comes at a real cost. This is why Jesus uses the metaphor of dying to oneself to describe what it means to follow him. So if you want to be one of my followers, you must take up your cross and follow me. You must die to yourself. It will cost you something. It will require sacrifice. 
But friends, in order for the new humanity to come forth, we've been in this series called The New Humanity. In order for that new humanity to come forth, the old humanity with its ways of living and thinking and acting has to die. Has to die. Paul challenges us in Philippians chapter 2 that uh, he says this in, in chapter 2 verse 5, you must have this same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, what did he do? He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant. He was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. What Paul is telling us is this is that we as followers of Jesus, and he's writing specifically to those in Philippi, we are to have this mind amongst ourselves. We are to share the same attitude of Christ. That although we may feel like we have privileges, although we may feel that, you know, we've done enough, that we would not cling to that, but we would let go. We would take the humble position of a servant in our community, in our families, in our homes, where we find ourselves, to live a life filled with love, to treat others as we would want to be treated. Similarly, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, he says this, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. You see, friends, to treat others as we want to be treated, although a simple, simple idea and concept, is incredibly difficult. And it requires us to live a life like Jesus one of sacrifice, one of deep compassion and care for, our to, for us to lift our eyes from our own situation to the situations of others, for us to lift our eyes from our own reflection and to look around at those in our community, to each and every day, in everything, to bring our absolute best and give that to others because that's what we would hope and want people to give to us. And it only makes sense that in this moment, and we do this every week as a church, if you're brand new, that we would head to the communion table. And it's actually in communion that we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. That we don't just have a God who calls us to live and act in certain ways, but we have a God who actually lived that out. Jesus did, as Philippians said, did not cling on to his divine privileges, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, humbled himself to, of the death of Jesus and the, his sacrifice on our behalf. Why did he die, my friends? Because when he looked at the world in our broken state, in our challenges and difficulties, God's heart was moved to treat us the way he would want to be treated. God's heart was moved to extend to us forgiveness. God's heart was moved to extend to you love. God's heart was moved to extend to you grace and mercy 
and kindness. And so what did he did? He was not passive. He came down into humanity and in everything, he treated others the way that he would want to be treated. And we see this so beautifully in Jesus Christ. And so as we come to the table, it is a reminder for us of what God has done for us. But as we leave the table and we walk back to our seats, and as we leave this place and we walk back into our our cars or to our homes, it's a reminder that we too now carry this calling. We too are called to be the new humanity. As we come to the table, we are saying, my old way of thinking, living and acting, that self-oriented, selfish life that I was living, it is dead. I leave it at the table and I walk out in new life, the new life that Jesus has offered me. And I bring it to the world. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to come to the table. And I like to remind us that this is not simply a religious act, but a true moment of transformation, a true moment of receiving grace, a true moment of a call to mission. And so if your heart is finding itself religiously just coming forward, don't come forward. Taking a moment to deeply consider what this means and the implications of what this will mean tomorrow and the day after. So I'll invite the ushers forward. I'll pray. And we can come to the table when we are ready. Normally when we're inside, we start in the front and work our way to the back. What I'll encourage us to do, uh, just to, to kind of make it easy, let's work our way from the out side in, okay? So you guys can go to this table first. Work. You get the idea. So let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for this simple teaching <laughs> to treat others as we'd like to be treated. But God, I recognize this morning this is incredibly difficult, incredibly challenging to live out. And so I, ta- I, I pray today as we come to the table as we take this bread and we take this juice, that it would fill us up in more than just a physical way, but in a deeply spiritual way that would then empower us to go forth and to live the way that you've called us to live. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to not just hear these teachings, but actually live them. I pray that as we do, our families, our friends, our workplaces, our world would be transformed one interaction at a time. Help us to do this, I pray. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the rail city campus of CA Church.